Section 4, Chapter 3 of The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Bohannon. The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson by DeWitt C. Peters. Section 4, Chapter 3, Part 2. In the month of January, the daily routine of their lives was rather unpleasantly disturbed. A party of fifty Crow Indians made an unfriendly visit to their camp on one very dark night. They succeeded in stealing nine of their loose animals, with which they escaped unperceived. Early the next morning, the signs of the Indians were discovered. Kit Carson, with twelve of his companions, immediately saddled their horses and started in pursuit. It was very difficult to follow the trail of the Indians from the fact that many herds of buffalo had crossed and repeatedly recrossed it during the night, making the tracks very indistinct. Having traveled forty miles, their horses, which were very poor in flesh, became fatigued, causing them to think of making a halt. After due consideration, it was agreed that they had best go into camp. With this object in view, they traveled towards some timber which was nearby. On arriving at the woods, the advance of the party, to their surprise and not less to their satisfaction, discovered the smoke of their enemy's fires. The distance between the parties was inconsiderable, but, in order that their movements might be made unobserved, the trappers repeated to a secluded spot where they awaited the night, judging it best to take the party by surprise. Their first care was to secure and provide for their animals. The second was to prepare their arms. As soon as it would do for them to move, they started, eager for the strife. It was judged best to first make a half-circuit, and then approach the Indians from the direction they themselves were traveling, as from this source they wisely judged the red men would be less apprehensive of an attack. Their movements were made slowly and with great care in order not to alarm the savages. Having obtained a position close enough to observe the strength of their enemies, they stopped to reconnoiter. The men then crept for a long distance on their hands and knees until finally they obtained a full view of the Indians, which showed them that the savages had erected two rough forts and that they were now divided into two parties. A dance was in progress, in honor of the robbery so recently perpetrated, which proved conclusively that they were without even a suspicion of danger. Just outside one of the forts, the nine stolen animals were securely tied. This sight did not tend to allay the wrath of the trappers. They resolved that, come what might, the attempt to regain their property and punish the Indians should be made notwithstanding their strength. To ensure success in spite of their weakness, they determined to conceal themselves and wait quietly until the Indians had laid down for sleep. During this time of suspense, the trappers were subjected to great suffering, for the weather was intensely cold, and they possessed but a scanty allowance of clothing fit for such work. But as there is an end to all things, there was an end to the dance and other festivities, and the savages sought their rest. At last the time for action arrived. Kit Carson and five of his companions commenced crawling towards the stolen horses, which, on reaching, were easily set free by cunning their halters. They then threw snowballs at them, and by this means drove them away without disturbing the sleeping Indians. The trappers who acted as a reserve party soon after joined Kit and his companions, and, after retreating some distance in order to be out of the hearing of the enemy, they held a council to obtain the views of each member of the party as to their next step. It appeared that a difference of opinion existed. Some of the men were in favor of returning, having recovered their property and sustained no damage. The remainder, those who had lost no animals, 
wanted satisfaction for the trouble and hardship they had undergone while in pursuit of the thieves. Kit Carson and two others composed this latter party, and thus were determined to punish the thieves. Let the consequences of the attempt be ever so fatal. The more peaceful party, seeing this earnestness, could not do otherwise than lend their aid in the fight and cheerfully did so. There always existed such a feeling of brotherly love among the old trappers of the Rocky Mountains that the hour of peril was never the hour for separation or desertion. This instance affords a fair example of how the minority could easily rule the majority when the minority held to the side of danger. The whole band were now unanimous in favor of the attack. Kit Carson, who had from the first acted as captain, ordered three men to take the recovered animals back to where they had secured their saddle horses. Then, with his comrades, he marched directly for the Indian camp. A dog belonging to the enemy first gave the alarm of approaching danger to the Indians, but not until Kit and his party were within a few paces of the first fort. As soon as the occupants of the fort heard the noise, they sprang to their feet, and thus became fair marks for the unerring rifles of the trappers. The whites did not throw away a single shot. Every ball struck a warrior in some vital spot. Those who survived retreated to the fort occupied by their friends, and, as soon as possible, commenced returning the fire. But without execution, as the trappers, on discharging their first volley, had well concealed themselves behind trees, from whence they were shooting only when sure of an object. It was now nearly daybreak, and as the savages discovered the weakness of the attacking party, they resolved to charge. Feeling sure of success, they did so, but the white men, who were expert fighters in this kind of warfare, quietly waited until the Indians were fully exposed. Then they fired and killed five warriors. The remainder immediately retreated into the fort. After considerable deliberation, the Indians decided once more to make a sortie. On they came, and this time with such determination that the trappers could not withstand the assault, but were compelled to retreat. They disputed, however, every inch of ground over which they trod, as they fell back from one tree to another, continually making their bullets tell with terrible effect on their foes. The three men who had been sent back with the horses had joined their comrades soon after they had commenced retreating. They had heard the incessant firing and had become convinced that the fight was hotly contested and that their services were required. On their joining, the whole party resolved to make one more stand, and as soon as the Indians saw this, they wavered and finally drew off. Both sides had now, seemingly, had enough of fighting, and hostilities soon after entirely ceased, the savages marching back and leaving the whites masters of the field. Several of the trappers were slightly, but none dangerously wounded. The Indians had paid dearly, in numbers killed for the rascality. Finding the coast clear, Carson and his men set out and soon rejoined their comrades on the Arkansas River. In the spring, after having cached their fur, the whole band departed for Laramie River on another expedition. While on the south fork of the Platte, two of the party deserted, taking with them three of their best animals. Suspecting their design, Gaunt sent Kit Carson and another man in pursuit of the fugitives, who had one day the start. As was suspected, the two deserters had gone to the camp where the beaver fur was concealed and buried. They had succeeded in digging it up and stealing about 300 pounds of this valuable property, belonging to the company in general, share and share alike. Carson and his companion failed entirely in their efforts to find the two men. Doubtless they never lived to enjoy their ill-gotten wealth, for, notwithstanding careful search was made, the men were never heard from afterwards. It is probable that they were killed by Indians, a fate which they, at least, richly merited. This old camp, the reader will please bear in mind, was on the Arkansas River. Kit Carson and his comrade, after finding that the two deserters had thus succeeded in stealing the fur which had been buried by the company, made every effort which lay in their power to recover it. As has also been seen, they were unsuccessful. It now remained for them to determine their future course. 
the country was so infested with hostile indians that it made their position thus alone very precarious to regain their commander's company was almost impracticable at least without a more important object to make the risk necessary it was a foolhardy attempt time in learning the loss was of no great importance either to their leader or their party sooner or later this as a matter of course would be fully shown kidd and his comrade therefore determined to remain where they were in the old camp and to this end immediately arranged everything so that they could make a successful defense in case they should be attacked by the savages they did not dare to venture out far from their fortifications but this was no great trial to them as game existed in great plenty and came very near to their fortifications while one slept the other stood on guard it was their intention to await the return of their party but at the expiration of one month they were quite happily relieved from their perilous position mr blackwell mr gaunt's partner arrived from the united states he was accompanied by fifteen men and brought with him a complete outfit for the entire band kidd and his comrade had been expecting and were anxiously looking for this party they were also made quite happy in obtaining the articles of outfit which would render their wild life more agreeable and easy shortly after this arrival four men from the trapping party came into camp and brought the news as to the whereabouts of gaunt and his men they were overjoyed at finding kit and his comrade as they said they had hunted for them in all directions and finally had given up all hopes of ever seeing them again the whole party now began the march to join gaunt at the bayo salado footnote three salt springs and footnote these springs form the headwaters of the south fork of the river platte when four days journey had been accomplished and while they were partaking of their breakfast in camp an alarm of indians was given by one of the men he had accidentally discovered the redskin rascals as they were prowling about the camp a rush was instantly made by the trappers with rifles in hand to save their horses shots were fired and one indian fell the rest of the band made off as empty-handed as they came with one exception one brave had succeeded in capturing and mounting a horse before the white men could reach him notwithstanding he had a dead brother lying on the ground he appeared to be altogether too polite to make the trappers a longer visit at least without proper introduction on the contrary he galloped off seemingly quite proud of his trophy had it not been that the trappers had taken the precaution to hobble their horses before turning them out to graze they would have lost them all in this attempted stampede footnote four these stampedes are a source of great profit to the indians of the plains it is by this means that they deprive the caravans of their animals the comanches are particularly expert and daring in this kind of robbery they even train horses to run from one given point to another in expectancy of the caravans when a camp is made which is nearly in range they turn their trained animals loose who at once fly across the plain penetrating and passing through the camp of their victims all of the picketed animals will endeavor to follow and usually succeed in following the trained horses such are invariably led into the haunts of the thieves who easily secure them young horses and mules are easily frightened and in the havoc which generally ensues oftentimes great injury is done to the runaways themselves the sight of a stampede on a grand scale requires steady nerves to witness without tremor and woe to the footman who cannot get out of the way when the frightened animals come along at times when the herd is very large the horses scatter over the open country and are irrecoverably lost and such as do not become wild fall a prey to the ravenous wolves such most frequently is the fate of stampeded horses which have been bred in the states not being trained by a prairie life experience to take care of themselves instead of bravely stopping and fighting off the wolves they run the whole pack are sure to leave the bolder animals and make for the runaways which they seldom fail to overtake and dispatch 
Four years since, one of these stampedes occurred on the plains of a band of horses, in which there were several hundred valuable animals. It was attended with very heavy loss to the owners. Through the courage and great exertions of those who had the animals in charge, many were recovered, but none without having sustained more or less injury. A favorite policy of the Indian horse thieves is to creep into camp, cut loose one animal, and thoroughly frighten him. This animal seldom fails to frighten the remainder, when away they all go with long ropes and picket pins dangling after them. The latter sometimes act like harpoons, being thrown with such impetus as to strike and instantly kill a valuable steed from among the brother runaways. At other times, the limbs of the running horses get entangled in the ropes when they are suddenly thrown. Such seldom escape without broken legs or severe contusions, which are often incurable. The necessity of traveling on at any rate renders it an impossibility to undertake the cure when it might be practicable under other circumstances. End footnote. This day the party traveled fifty miles and thought themselves clear of the Indians, as there were no visible signs of their presence. The experience of the day, however, had admonished them to be on their guard against surprise. To make things sure as to their animals, they fastened them to stakes driven in the earth, sufficient rope being given them for grazing. The place selected for the camp was a beautiful spot, being on a small stream which empties into the Arkansas, the water of which is sparkling and clear. There are many of these charming little brooks which, emptying into, form this river. To the general traveler, however, they present one great drawback as eligible camping sites. Their banks are usually pretty thickly lined with rattlesnakes. The mountaineer is quite well accustomed and reconciled to this venomous reptile, as they abound in nearly every section of this hunting and trapping grounds. Not so, however, with the mere visitor of, or casual traveler over, the western territories. To them his rattlesnake ship is a formidable personage. The rattlesnake rarely moves after sunset. The night air is generally too chilling for him. In the daytime they are a noble enemy, always warning their antagonist of their hostile intentions by springing their rattles, thus giving a person a warning of his danger. By these two wise provisions of the Creator, the power of this otherwise terrible reptile is so limited or restrained that the trapper rarely gives him a thought unless he comes in direct contact. Although they are so numerous, it very seldom happens that either the Indian or the trapper is bitten by them. The party had not been long at rest before their suspicions were aroused that hostile Indians were near them. A faithful dog belonging to the camp kept up a furious barking, much more lustily than when wolves annoyed him. An extra guard was therefore immediately posted when the remainder of the party lay down, but not for sleep. They expected at every moment that their services would be needed to defend the camp. Everything, however, passed as usual during the night, and, with the morning, all suspicion was laid aside. Kit Carson, with three companions, proposed a visit to a fork of a river close by to look for signs of beaver. They had been informed that these animals were numerous in this particular stream. Carson and the three men had been absent about one hour when the signs of Indians proved to be realities, in the shape of a bold and well-sustained charge upon their camp. The rascals succeeded in running off all of their loose animals. Four of the men immediately saddled the fleetest of the remaining horses and instantly gave chase. After a quick run, they came up with the savages and immediately gave them battle. A sharp skirmish ensued, in which one of the warriors was killed, when the remainder fled, leaving the property once more in the hands of its rightful owners. The men, however, did not come off entirely safe. One of them received a very severe wound, which, eventually, gave him considerable difficulty, but from the effects of which he finally recovered. Kidd and his companions, in the meantime, in order to reach their destination, found it necessary, unless they should take a long and circuitous route, to cross one of those lofty peaks for which the Rocky Mountains are so famous. 
The ascent was, however, commenced and successfully accomplished, but not without labor and an occasional resting place being sought for breathing their animals. In due time, they reached the desired stream, but the beaver signs did not appear. Finding their errand had proved entirely useless, they started to return into camp. Experience had taught them that the longest way round was, in this case, the quickest way home. Taking, therefore, a circuitous route, they avoided recrossing the lofty mountain peak already alluded to. As they were riding carelessly homeward, beguiling the time with anecdote and remark upon their future prospects, the scenery around them, with an occasional sight at some kind of game, what should appear ahead of them but four Indian warriors, remarkably well-mounted, painted, and decked with feathers, showing conclusively that they were out upon the warpath. As soon as Kit and his companions saw the warriors, and without one word as to their proper and best action being interchanged, they simultaneously put spurs to their horses and dashed at the Indians in order to quickly bring them within range of their rifles. The pace became a hot one, but as suddenly as the charge had been commenced, so suddenly the trappers found that they had, this time, quote, caught a tartar, unquote. For as they dashed on, sixty warriors, fully armed and splendidly mounted, came into view from beneath a hill where they were awaiting in ambush. There was but one course for the trappers to take, and that was to run the gauntlet, which they did in gallant style although twenty yards would have frequently measured the distance between them and the hostile savages. The bullets from the rifles of the Indians flew about their ears thick and fast, or a heavy fire was opened upon them as they passed, and incessantly kept up until they were out of their reach. The trappers did not return a shot. It would not have been according to their custom. There is no one thing Simon Pure trappers consider to be a greater folly than firing their rifles on such an occasion as is here described. There is nothing they so much dread as being left on foot with an empty gun and no time to load, when perhaps a single shot might change defeat into victory, sure captivity into freedom, or a dead companion into a laughing, jolly, and lovable helpmate, ready for setting a trap or to engage in the next bloody skirmish. This must inevitably happen, if, after the rider has fired, among the score or so of passing bullets, one of them, perchance, took a peculiar fancy for a vital organ of his horse the mortally wounded animal would make no account of dismounting his master and leaving him to the tender mercies of the refined savages. In every close and unequal contest, such as above detailed, they only think of the surest and speediest method of escape, leaving revenge to be obtained on some other more fitting and favorable occasion. For some unaccountable reason the savages did not give chase. As soon as Carson and his comrades had got out of the reach of the Indians, they began to recall the suspicions concerning signs of Indians which their faithful dog had aroused. Fears for the safety of their companions arose accordingly. Therefore, giving spurs to their horses, they pushed on with vigor to know the worst. The facts that awaited them at camp concerning the attack by the Indians, stealing, and rescue of the horses gave them, therefore, but little surprise. They had already surmised the reason why the Indians had thus set a trap for them. Having been watching the camp during the night and finding the white men fully on the alert and carefully guarding against any surprise, they had quietly waited until suspicion of their proximity had been entirely laid aside. The departure of Carson and his companions from camp was doubtless seen by the savages and afforded them a clear proof that the white men had forgotten their fears. As Kit's departure with the men weakened the camp party, the Indians had gathered together sufficient courage to make a bold charge for the coveted plunder. The final result, however, which led to their losing the stolen property and the life of one of their braves, had caused them to think of an attack upon Kit's party, thus obtaining by its massacre revenge for their dead companion, and the horses which Kit and his comrades rode would have been a consolation for their failure to retain the horses obtained at the camp. The attack was skillfully planned, 
and would undoubtedly have succeeded but for the unexpected daring and promptitude displayed by kit and his comrades the indians had not looked out for the bold charge upon their advanced party but on the contrary they had been prepared for a chase and fight in the opposite direction had such a skirmish taken place nothing beyond an absolute miracle or change of the laws of nature could have saved the little band kit and his friends had reason therefore to be very thankful for their safety they all felt that they had retained their scalps by a very close shave to use the expressive language of carson employed in narrating the event quote, the redskins made a good attempt but thank god failed unquote. two of the trappers had received in this affray wounds which proved to be of a serious nature much more so than they or their companions thought on the first examination given them in consequence the whole party was obliged to halt and again go into camp having accomplished but a very short remove from their savage foes it became necessary to maintain a strong and careful guard during the succeeding night notwithstanding the labors of the past day and night had been more than usually arduous however they succeeded in passing the night without further molestation the next morning it was found necessary to make a litter for one of the wounded men whose condition had grown to be much worse the method which the mountaineers adopted for making a litter they have taken from the indians and is as follows take two strong poles six feet of which at either extremity is allowed for shafts or handles while the patient lies in the intermediate space on a buffalo robe or strong sacking whichever is most convenient and to saddles upon each of the animals the poles at their extremities are fastened another and simpler plan but one not so comfortable to the patient is to take two of the poles as before and attach them strongly to a saddle on but one animal while the two ends are allowed to drag upon the ground directly in the rear of the horse the patient's bed is affixed if the poles are long they will act as springs especially when the wood used is of a kind which has considerable elasticity having arranged everything to the satisfaction and comfort of the wounded men the party commenced their march and in four days reached gaunt's camp where they rested until the wounded men had nearly recovered this simple fact shows the careful and sympathizing care which the mountaineers of the west ever exhibited towards each other in distress it speaks more than would volumes of mere praise concerning their character for true manhood when the wounded men had so far recovered that they could safely proceed the whole party now quite strong in its numerical power as well as skill and mountaineer experience departed for and in due time arrived at the old park the coveted beaver however were scarce there for other trappers had preceded them and to employ trapping phrase quote, had caught all the fur in those streams that could be taken that season unquote. this was an unpleasant condition for their business prospects but as the old adage hath it quote, what could not be cured was quietly endured unquote. catching beaver is not always a matter of choice the beaver themselves have considerable to say on the subject end of section three chapter three part two recording by gary bohannon